Now on RN, we're joined by Dr. Stephen Willotion, who's Professor of Medicine at the Dartmouth Institute and the co-director of their Centre for Medicine and Media. And the centre has an interesting mission. It's to improve the communication of medical evidence to physicians, journalists, policymakers and the public and to help them see through excessive fear and hope created by exaggerated and selective reporting in medical journals, advertising and the news. Stephen's about to attend the Preventing Overdiagnosis Conference in Copenhagen, where he'll chair a session on communicating about overdiagnosis in mainstream journalism and on social media. And the Preventing Diagnosis Conference also sees the presentation of the Lisa Schwartz Memorial Lecture, which is named after Stephen's late wife and research partner, a highly respected pioneer in the field of improving communication about the risks and benefits of medical tests and treatments. Dr. Stephen Willotion, welcome to Sunday Extra. Hi, thanks for inviting me. You're chairing this session on communicating about overdiagnosis, so I suppose we should communicate about it now. What is overdiagnosis <laughs> and how widely is it understood as a concept? Um, well, broadly speaking, overdiagnosis is about making people patients unnecessarily. So um, traditionally, the original focus was on things like cancer screening tests, which are really good at finding abnormalities. Um, and some of them are you know, technically cancers, but not all of them progress. And so that's where the, the idea that there can be quote unquote cancers that would never cause harm or kill people if they hadn't been detected. But once those things are detected, people generally get treated and they can be, you know, they can't benefit since the thing wasn't destined to cause harm, it can only be hurt. So that's one aspect of overdiagnosis. The other aspect is about expanding disease definitions. The idea that you know we have traditional disease categories, but there's a tendency to make them broader and broader to capture more and more patients. And um, that might be helpful, but it also might be harmful because a lot of people with really mild symptoms or problems that probably weren't all that um, problematic get labeled and often treated, and sometimes the treatment is worse than the disease. So that's roughly the, the idea of, um, of, of overdiagnosis. Um, you, you asked about how, how well people understand or how aware they are. Mm. That's a good question. We, we did some surveys, Lisa and I did some surveys years ago, and um, no one really knew about it in the population. I think about 5% of people had heard the term and only about less than 10% of people were familiar with the concept um, there's been an increase in awareness over time, but still, I would say the majority of people are not familiar with overdiagnosis. So we still have a long way to go. This session has a split between mainstream journalism and social media. Uh, do you think that social media has changed the dynamics and, and awareness of overdiagnosis? Well, we don't know. That's why we're doing this session because <laughs> there has been very little, well, there's been very little research in, uh, into social media in, in this particular context. And I think the real issue, at least when I thought of this uh, session, the issue I had in mind was <clears throat> whether companies or interested parties are using social media to generate enthusiasm for tests and treatments that may you know, be of limited or marginal benefit and may have important harms. So in other words, they may, they may be inviting people to have a brush with overdiagnosis. And as I said, not much is known about it. So we we invited um, this young um, investigator who's starting to do some research in the area to kind of give a, a broad look at the you know lay of the land. 
It sounds fascinating. Another fascinating aspect of your work is the focus on things like medical journals. The phrase exaggerated and selective reporting probably wouldn't shock too many people when it's applied to advertising uh, or the news media, but you also apply it to medical journals and to communications to medical professionals. Could you explain a little bit uh, more for us about that aspect of things? Sure. Um, You know, the medical journals, they suffer from the same issues that plague traditional journalism. There's often stories that are um, told in a way that only present part of the, you know, part of the story or exaggerate the magnitude of the risks or the magnitude of the benefits and minimize the harms. Um, You know, there's no shortage um, of these issues. And um, just like in mainstream journalism, there are editors and people who are peer reviewers and people who are working hard to try to get the story straight. But, you know, there, it's not unusual for there to be problems. And so Lisa and I, for a long time, we tried to work with the journals to try to develop strategies and me- methods to try to ensure that reporting is transparent, that um, you know, be- if benefits are discussed, arms are discussed, um, that effects get quantified um, for both groups. For example, I mean, one of the um, arguments sometimes, and this we hear this in, in, in mainstream journalism too, is that it's impossible to you know, let people know both sides of the story. That's like if there were a sporting event and I just told you the score of one team and not the other, you know, that would be crazy. No one would accept that. But in journalism, we often see that. And even in medical journals, sometimes the, the focus of the journal is just on the benefit side of things. How much did this drug work? How much did it affect the, the feared outcome? But nothing about the harms and, and the side effects. So the idea is to try to um, make it possible for everyone, all, all the audiences of medical research, the, the clinicians, the patients, policymakers, funders, um, and of course, journalists. We, we're trying to make sure that they can get the full picture so that they can have more um, informed discussions and make better decisions. On Sunday Extra, we're speaking with Dr. Stephen Willotion, Professor of Medicine at Dartmouth. Stephen's chairing the session on communicating about overdiagnosis at the Preventing Overdiagnosis Conference coming up in Copenhagen. Stephen, I mentioned the the memorial lecture, the Lisa Schwartz Memorial Lecture. I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about the lecture as an institution and also about uh, Lisa's work and your life and career together. Sure, I'd be happy to. Lisa... She, you know, tragically died four years ago. Um, she was a really important figure in medical communication and particularly in overdiagnosis and in recognition for her contributions to the field. And also she was one of the co-founders of this um, conference. <clears throat> the the uh, board decided that they would have a named lecture in her honor. Um, the purpose of the lecture is not so much to review her work and her contribution, although that is part of it, but also just to try to um, have important figures in the field talk about new issues or challenges and try to help you know, expand and um, communicate the research agenda um, for, for um, you know, interested parties. Um, so the, this year, the, um, the, the lecture is going to be given by um, Barry Kramer, who he's a physician researcher from the United States. He used to be the director of, a, of a, div- a big division at the National Cancer Institute in the United States. And um, he's actually one of the reasons that Lisa and I got involved in this area. Um, we met him years and years ago, and um, we had done some work criticizing the National Cancer Institute for how they were communicating information 
about uh, a drug meant to reduce breast cancer risk. And um, we were very anxious about you know giving this talk and criticizing you know these senior um, officials uh, at the National Cancer Institute, but but Barry was so um, enthusiastic and welcoming and encouraging, and it really started like a lifelong um, a collaboration. Barry also was very interested, as we were, in how medical research gets translated through the media. And with him, we started um, an annual workshop called Medicine in the Media um, that ran for about 10 years. It, was, it stopped a little while during COVID, but it's starting up again now. But the idea is to try to help journalists do a better job translating research into terms and um, into um, into stories so that uh, people can understand and it will help them uh, ultimately help them make better decisions. You mentioned that the lecture focuses on new issues and challenges. Do you have a sense of what some of the emerging issues and challenges in preventing overdiagnosis are? Yeah, there are a few. One is um, the workshop, the conferences have been going on for, for a number of years. And, you know, initially we were focusing on how do you define overdiagnosis? How do you measure it? And I kind of, you kind of hope, hope that we'd have that sorted out really well now, but it turns out that there's always opportunities for new things to happen. So most recently there are these multi-cancer detector tests um, in in England, they're called GRAIL. I don't know what they're called in, in uh, Australia. I'm sure you've got them as well, but these are ideas, the idea is you can do a blood test and it could identify in theory, 50 or hundred different kinds of cancer. Um, but the problem is, um, you know, it sounds like the Holy Grail, but it could be Pandora's box because we don't know whether this will translate into benefit or harm for patients. Nevertheless, it's being widely uh, marketed already. So that's one of the issues that uh, that's going to come up. Um, the other issue is the, what we talked about earlier, the, this idea, you know, a lot of the, 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 the um, conferences is around science issues, about definitions of overdiagnosis, but a lot of it is about communication. Um, the things that I mentioned earlier, how to help doctors, patients, policymakers, and others understand, first of all, the existence of overdiagnosis, what it means, and what are the implications. And then the other issue that I think is, is important is um, we're trying to go beyond just describing the problem, but to do something about it. So there's going to be a lot of sessions focusing on things that can be done. For example, the idea of deprescribing or de-implementing um, policies or um, guidelines that um, have not been shown to have net benefit. So th th those are just some of the, the highlights, but the conference is always you know, really dynamic and we get lots of people from all over the world. And it's really fun to hear about what's going on in different places and um, figure out what we could do better, what's working, what's not working and so on. Back in 2017, you and Lisa won an award from the American Medical Writers Association for your success in showing trade-offs between too little diagnosis and overdiagnosis, which is obviously a really important uh, balance or challenge to strike. Uh, could you explain that a little bit more to us? Sure. <clears throat> it's not just a balance to strike. It's actually this fundamental kind of like paradox that mm. um, overdiagnosis, you know, causes harm. But one of the harms it causes is that it, it, it results in underdiagnosis and undertreatment because resources get diverted into these conditions and these diagnoses that didn't really have to be made or didn't really matter. So there are people who aren't getting nearly enough care or nearly enough testing or nearly enough treatment, but the resources are being pulled away from them into tests and treatments that may not be beneficial. So that's why that's a fundamental um, issue in overdiagnosis 
field. Um, so yeah, the the um, the award from the, the that organization was also about um, uh, work in trying to improve the communication generally about um, medical you know, about med medical research and um, particularly about our work with about our work with uh, jur journalists. Yes, and one of the things I was thinking is that in th these areas are obviously very uh, complex and, and advanced scientific fields. For the ordinary consumer, it's really difficult to know even where to begin. Uh, what advice would you have for anyone listening now as a medical consumer or potential medical consumer about how to approach trying to understand um, the way these issues apply to them when they're not experts in the field. Sure. And that's the thing. You don't need to be an expert in the field. And there, there aren't a lot of experts in the field. Unfortunately, you don't need to be an expert. Um, probably the most important thing is to remember that if something seems too good to be true, it probably is. To remember that um, if, there are, if you're talking about benefits, you also have to think about harms. Right? There's always two sides to everything. And I think to approach medical research, messages about testing, messages about treatment with healthy skepticism. You know, ask the person who's offering you this test or treatment, you know, what, what am I going to, you know, what's in it for me? Like what's, what's likely to happen to me if I do the test, I do the treatment, what's likely to happen to me if I don't do it or if I do an alternative? Um, I think those are like three really basic principles that would get people, you know, take people a long way in kind of inoculating themselves against the harms of overdiagnosis. Dr. Stephen Willotion, thanks so much for speaking with us on Sunday Extra. My pleasure. just want to acknowledge that um, Australia and researchers in Australia have really, in a lot of ways, been leaders in this area. And um, I just want to acknowledge that because there are people there who I really admire and um, I've really enjoyed working with. So for example, um, at, at Bond University, um, there's David Henry and Paul Glasiew and Ray Moynihan. Ray Moynihan, you may know, he was originally a journalist and then he became mm. academic. But these are guys who really kind of pushed these ideas early on and helped um, organize and get, you know, help provide a lot of the energy to get this work, this, this conference to happen. But more importantly, um, to really encourage people to be thinking about things like overdiagnosis. In the old days, um, way back when, Ray Moynihan and David Henry held a conference called um, uh, about disease mongering. That was the term that people used in those days for overdiagnosis. And um, Lisa and I were there and it was really, it was like a life-changing experience for us learning that we had colleagues on the other side of the world who were, you know, just doing fascinating, important work and just great to work with. Um, and uh, anyway, I just wanted to say that because um, um, the, the, the Australian contribution to this field and to this um, area of research is just really, has really been critical. Well, that's fantastic to hear. And it's interesting looking at the program for the Preventing Overdiagnosis Conference this year. There certainly are a number of contributors from Australia across a wide range of fields as well. Yes. So it seems that tradition continues. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's great. And in fact, we, in addition to the Lisa Schwartz lecture, we also have a Lisa Schwartz prize for young researchers who are doing important work that um, is consistent with Lisa's you know, values and um, interests. And the first winner was from uh, a, a researcher at uh, the University of Sydney. Um, so her name was Mary O'Keefe. And the second winner, there were two of them, but one of them was another person from Australia, Loai Albuquerque. He's at Bond 
university. So yeah, I can't say enough about Australia. Fantastic. Sounds like we're uh, more than carrying our weight in the field. Thanks. Thanks again, yes. Stephen. Really great speaking okay. with you. And Stephen is Professor of Medicine at the Dartmouth Institute and Co-Director of the Centre for Medicine and Media. Getting in touch with ABCRN is easy. Join the conversation live using the ABC Listen app's call and text features.